Open your Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 4. Thank you, Naomi. Thank you, Grace. So beautiful. To God be the glory. Today is our third message in our summer series, The Holy Spirit According to Jesus. Week one, we talked about Joel 2.28, which contains a direct promise from God. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, says the Lord. In Numbers chapter 11, verse 29, Moses said that he wished that the Lord would put his spirit on all the Israelite people. That is what Moses wished for. It's what Joel said would happen. It's what Peter explained happened on the day of Pentecost. 800 years after Joel's prophecy, Peter begins his sermon on the day of Pentecost saying, but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Joel's prophecy speaks to the sovereignty of God, the determination and generosity in the presence of God. He longs to be with you. He longs to be with me. How he fulfills his longing is through the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit. Week two, we talked about John 3, 8. Jesus likened the Holy Spirit to wind. Like the wind, no one can control his movements. The Holy Spirit moves according to his Father's will. Without the Holy Spirit, this is so critically important, without the Holy Spirit, no one will ever come to Christ. And without the Holy Spirit, we cannot live the victorious Christian life. He alone gives life to the spiritually dead. He alone imparts the breath of heaven into those who are dead in their trespasses and sins. This Sunday, we will look at the work of the Holy Spirit or begin to look at the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's a huge topic. And so today, we're going to narrow our focus. We will focus in on the events surrounding the temptation or testing of Jesus in the wilderness. Our focus is not on the devil, but on the Holy Spirit and the role he played in the life of Christ before during and after the temptation. Five words summarized what happened. Gracious Father in heaven, as we look to you in your holy word, I pray through the power of your, the spirit that you would speak, God, that you would speak through your servant, God. I pray that you would open our hearts and minds through the power of your spirit to the truth that will be proclaimed and preached from this pulpit today, that you would be glorified, the body of Christ strengthened, edified, and built up. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone says, amen. Five words summarized what happened. The story begins with an act of obedience. Obedience is the first word. Go for just a moment to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3 verses 21 and 22 tell us, when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus was also baptized. And while he prayed, while he prayed, while Jesus prayed, the heaven was opened. 
And the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Can you imagine to be one of the people that witnessed all of this? How amazing. How incredible. I mean, how cool. One day, Jesus presented himself for baptism at the Jordan. And John, that's John the Baptist, at first refused. Matthew chapter 3, verse 14 says, And John tried to prevent him. Jesus saying, I need to baptize. I need to be baptized by you. And are you coming to me? John's like, It's the way of God who's come to take away the sins of the world, who's come to take my sins away, wants me to baptize him? Matthew 3, 15 says, But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Now, in the New Testament, water baptism was by immersion. It is a picture of death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus' baptism in water was a picture of his work of redemption. And this is an incredible truth and picture not to miss. It was through his baptism of suffering on the cross that he would fulfill all righteousness. To fulfill righteousness is to be obedient to God. Remember Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane right before his arrest? He prayed in Luke chapter 22, verse 42, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus' baptism was the official start of his ministry. He was about 30 years of age, according to Luke chapter 3, verse 23. In fact, I'll read it. Now, Jesus himself began his ministry at about 30 years of age. According to the Old Testament book of Numbers, chapter 4, verses 3 and 35, the Jewish Levites, as part of the Levitical priesthood, began their ministry unto the Lord at the age of 30. Serving in the tabernacle. According to the New Testament book of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 14. Jesus is our high priest. In fact the author he writes there in verse 14 of Hebrews chapter 4. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus the son of God let us hold fast our confession. You see, church, Christ demonstrated by his baptism on the very first day of his public ministry that he was committed to doing his Father's will. The life of Jesus is a commentary on what obedience looks like and what it's all about. The obedient demeanor of Jesus Christ is prophetically spoken through David in the Psalms. A thousand years before Jesus' birth, Psalms 40, verse 8 says, I delight to do your will, oh my God. You know, it's one thing to reluctantly go through a form of ministry service, and it's quite another thing to delight in doing the Father's will. I remember a few years ago, Pastor Dan, in one of his messages, he asked us this question. Is your service out of duty or delight? 
do you serve the Lord Jesus Christ out of duty or delight? Why do you obey? Jesus says, I delight to do your will, oh my God. Not out of duty. The author of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 9 quotes from Psalms 48. This is a prophetic word from Jesus communicated through David. Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. I have come to do your will, O God. That's why Jesus came, to do the will of the Father. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10 says... By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Put your name there. By that will, Patrick Medeiros has been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Put your name there, Hebrews 10.10. By that will, Bob Gadula has been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Isn't that glorious, church? Because of Jesus' obedience on the cross, he fulfilled all righteousness once and for all. All Jesus had fulfilled God's righteous requirements to atone for our sin once and for all. And that's why the author of Hebrews provides us this important detail about Jesus. He wants us to know that Jesus, according to Hebrews 12:2, has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This is an amazing, important detail. When Jesus cried out, it is finished on the cross, he declared that by his obedience on the cross, he fulfilled all righteousness once and for all. Isn't that glorious, church? Because of Christ's obedience, you and I can be made right with God. That's amazing, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. The first word is obedience. The second word is assurance. While Jesus was being baptized, two extraordinary things happened. First, the Holy Spirit descended upon him in the form of a dove. Again, just imagine being there and and, and witnessing this happening. Second, the Father spoke from heaven with words of divine approval. We see this in Luke 3, verse 22. You are my beloved son. In you, I am well pleased. Can you just imagine? Wow. The entire Trinity is revealed at this point. Jesus as the Son of God, the Holy Spirit descending like a dove, and the voice of the Father coming from heaven. What greater assurance could there be that Jesus is truly the Messiah? He is the anointed one of God that John preached was coming. In Matthew chapter 3 verse 1. In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea saying, Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, it says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. John the Baptist speaking of himself. But he who is coming, speaking of Jesus Christ, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. 
He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Oh, there's several baptisms in the scripture. And next week, we're going to look at the different baptisms that we, that we find in the Holy Scriptures. Here, John says, Jesus will baptize you. I baptize you with water, but there's one who's coming who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. The third word is testing. Immediately following the story of Jesus' baptism, Luke inserts a lengthy genealogy that starts with Jesus and goes back to Adam, the son of God. In in Luke 3.38, we we see this reference, Adam, the son of God. Then in Luke 4, um, verses 1 through 13, we come to the story of Jesus being tempted or tested. Please follow along in your Bibles. It's on page 542 if you're using a a pew Bible. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember, the Holy Spirit came upon him when he uh, was baptized. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing, and afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, saying, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I give you, I will give you in their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish." Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. And so the order in Luke's gospel looks like this. In Luke chapter 3, baptism. Genealogy, temptation. Luke inserts the genealogy because he wants to demonstrate that where Adam felt when he was tempted, when he was tested in the Garden of Eden, Jesus will now decisively defeat the devil in his hour of temptation and testing. The first Adam failed, but the second Adam succeeded. The one true son of God will now square off against the enemy of the universe. As the text reveals, it won't be a fair fight. Jesus defeats the devil at every turn. You'd think he'd learn his lesson by now. It's never a fair fight when the devil comes at the people of God. 
They're not fighting with people. They're fighting with God. It's not a fair fight. God wins at every turn, all the time. The fourth word is power. After the time of testing is over, Luke 4.14 tells us that Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. In the power of the Spirit. He not only defeated the devil, Jesus returned from his victory in the power of the Spirit. The Greek word translated power is dunamis. Power for performing miracles. We'll talk more about this later in the series. The fifth word is boldness. Jesus now goes into the synagogue on the Sabbath in his hometown of Nazareth. Standing up in the synagogue, he began to read from Isaiah 61, the Old Testament book of Isaiah 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Luke chapter 4, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. After finishing the reading, Jesus says in verse 21 of Luke chapter 4, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What boldness. What a bold claim to make. At first, they loved his gracious words. Look at verse 22 of Luke 4. So all bore witness to him, to Jesus, and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. But later, according to verse 29 of Luke 4, they tried to throw Jesus off a cliff. From Nazareth, Jesus went to Capernaum a fishing village on the northern edge of the Sea of Galilee. When he spoke on the Sabbath to the people there, verse 32 says, they were astonished at his teaching, for his word was with authority. There was a boldness. There was an authority when Jesus spoke, when Jesus taught, when he expounded on the eternal truth of God's Torah word, the first five books of the Old Testament. I think the word boldness sums up the fullness of Jesus' ministry. Because he is moving in the power of the Holy Spirit, he speaks the truth with boldness and without fear of what men might do to him. How many of us, we, we hold back in fear of what, what men might do or say. And so we remain silent. There was a boldness. There was an authority. And he did it according to John chapter 1, verse 14. Full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. Please, if you're taking notes, write that passage down. John chapter 1, verse 14. Jesus spoke with authority. He spoke with boldness. Full of grace and truth. In a world of darkness and demands, in a world filled with rules and regulations and requirements and expectations demanded by hypocritical religious leaders, Jesus came and ministered in a new and different way, being full of grace and truth. That's the order in the scripture, grace and truth. Grace first, truth next. Boldly speaking, Jesus, boldly speaking, with heaven's authority and the power of the Holy Spirit, his words were always seasoned, were always full of grace 
and truth. His words were always full of 100% grace and 100% truth. You see, God's people filled with God's spirit are to be grace people and truth people. Not half grace and half truth. Not all grace on Mondays and all truth on Tuesdays, but all grace and all truth all the time, 24-7. Can I hear an amen or an oh me? God's grace people, I think we all would agree, grace people are pleasant to be around. Grace people don't make demands. They're always welcoming, tolerant of others. But without truth, hear this this morning, but without truth, grace isn't really grace. Without truth, it's just being accepting and nice. That's a real danger. That's a real danger. Because you'll never help people become who God desires them to be. By being just accepting and nice. We need both grace and truth to work side by side, hand in hand. That's a real danger. And that's a real danger in the church today. And then there are the truth people. How many know truth people? Truth people have convictions and principles, and that's good. They believe in right and wrong, and that's not a bad thing. They set standards. They speak out. But without grace, telling the truth can become an excuse for an aggressive, hostile nature. Truth people without grace are loyal to their cause. They are quick to cast judgment on others if you don't see it the way they see it. Truth people make life difficult for others and for themselves. They are slow to forgive and often turn off others with their intimidating words and behavior. If you're a grace person, you are most concerned about being loved. If you're a truth person, you are most concerned about being right, even if it means being unloved and hated. Both have their dangers. Both have their dangers. Something is wrong if everyone hates you. And something is wrong if everyone loves you. Jesus was all grace. He welcomed sinners and ate with them. He had compassion on the crowds when they were hungry and far from home. He welcomed little children to come to him. He healed those with leprosy, the lame and the blind. He saved the criminal on the cross. Jesus was all truth. He confronted the religious leaders of his day, calling out their hypocrisy. And he calls out our hypocrisy, church. He told the woman at the well, go and sin no more. He prophesied judgment on Jerusalem for their unrepented hearts. He called his disciples to deny themselves and take up their cross and daily follow him. 
He obeyed the law. He set standards. He required everything from his followers, even their very own lives. Jesus came from the Father, full of grace and truth, all grace, all truth, all the time. God's work cannot be accomplished without both grace and truth working side by side, hand in hand. In today's main text, Jesus launches his earthly ministry, and he's modeling for us what it means to live in close connection to God. He obeys, and the Spirit descends. The Father speaks profound words of assurance. He is led into the wilderness by the Spirit and comes out in the power of the Spirit, full of grace and truth. He speaks with boldness. Some endear him while others were enraged by his words. All did not love him. All did not hate him but he was 100% grace, 100% truth, 100% of the time. Spirit-filled people are people full of grace and truth. The world needs to witness spirit-filled people. Oh, our country needs to experience, needs to witness spirit-filled people. How we talk to others about the pressing issues of our day and how we treat those who differ are critically, critically important to the gospel of Jesus Christ that we represent as the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't come simply to give us an example of grace and truth. He came to save us in grace and truth. You and I, the redeemed of God, have been saved in both grace and truth. We desperately need grace in our lives. We need to hear from Jesus. Matthew eleven twenty eight. come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We need to know that God doesn't expect us to clean up our act before we come to him. He invites us to come now, today, just as we are in brokenness, in pain, in humility, in sin, in repentance, and in faith. We need to hear that wayward children who have squandered their inheritance and lived an immoral, rebellious life can come home into the arms of their heavenly father according to Luke chapter 15, verse 20. And we desperately need truth in our lives. We need to hear from Jesus. The truth will set you free, John 8, 32. And we need to hear from Jesus what this saying really means in John 8, 36. I will tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin, but but if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. We need someone as gracious as Jesus to tell us the truth. You're not okay. You're guilty. You're a sinner. And anyone who tells you otherwise is not telling you the truth because they won't tell you the truth. And because they won't tell you the truth, you won't experience the grace you need. People need grace. People need truth. People need Jesus. How many of us, we remain silent. We all have people in our lives that don't know Christ. They're dead in their trespasses and sin. And the Bible says that their eternal destiny is not with God, but apart from God in a place called hell. Oh, can we say that word in the church today? We remain silent. Grace, 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 but it's really not grace. It's just being nice and kind. 
God's grace is only grace when it comes with God's truth. Grace in truth. Grace in truth. Are we being silent in this day of brokenness and immorality and indifference because we want to be loved by everybody? We don't want to be hated by anybody. People need grace. Amen? People need truth. People need Jesus. Spirit-filled people are bold people who are full of grace and truth. When they speak, they speak words full of 100% grace and full of 100% truth. In today's climate of hateful and abrasive talk, the world needs to hear and encounter spirit-filled people. Spirit-filled people. Paul, right into the church in Colossae, he writes in Colossians 4, verses 5 and 6, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, outside of the church, outside of the faith, outside of the family of God, redeeming the time. Let's make the best out of today for the glory of God. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, truth, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Grace and truth. Grace and truth. In our main scripture text, Luke 4, we don't want to miss the important detail, this important detail. The, the Spirit led Jesus to the wilderness, through the wilderness, and, and out of the wilderness. There was never a time when the Holy Spirit left Jesus, and there's never a time when the Holy Spirit leaves you and me, those who have been born of God, born of God's Spirit. Even in his weakened condition, physically, after fasting for 40 days, Jesus had the Holy Spirit upon him as he faced the devil. And maybe you're here today and you find yourself in the wilderness. Your faith is being tested. Be assured, you're not alone. The Holy Spirit is with you. You know, what a beautiful instrumental. What a beautiful, sweet time of worship. But aren't there times when you have these experiences like we had today? It was such a beautiful instrumental. It was a beautiful, sweet time of worship. But aren't there times in your life? I know there's times in my life I just don't sense anything. I don't feel any presence of God. The preacher gets up here and says, oh, the presence of God is in our midst. Oh, really? Where are you, pastor? <laughs> have you ever experienced that? I mean, I have many, many, many times. But I'm reminded in the Holy Scripture that this is not a feeling walk. It's a faith walk. And he promises never to leave us nor forsake us, that he is our comforter who walks alongside of us, the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about that later in the series on summer celebration. Can't wait. Bring as many unsaved people as you can. We're believing God for a great harvest of souls on summer celebration Sunday. He's with us, church. He's with us. Be assured you're not alone. The Holy Spirit is with you, even when you can't feel the presence of God. He's there. Amen? Let's compare for just a moment verse 1 and 
with verse 14. Jesus was full of the Spirit. He went into the wilderness. When he went into the wilderness, Jesus was full of the Spirit. And he came out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. Something happened to Jesus between those two, between verse 1 and verse 14. He went in full of the Spirit, led by the Spirit. He comes out in the power of the Spirit. Something happened to Jesus. The Holy Spirit's power became evident and obvious in his life in a new way. In thinking about this, it helps to remember that Jesus was truly human. He was 100% man when he walked on this earth. 100% God, yet 100% man. Mystery, mind-blowing, hard for us to grasp, isn't it? If Jesus as man, according to Luke chapter 2, write this down, Luke chapter 2, verse 52 could grow in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. That's what Luke 2.52 says. And so if Jesus as a man, according to Luke 2.52, could grow in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man, then as a man, could he not grow in his experience living a spirit-filled life? I admit, this is a mystery we cannot begin to understand. But Luke wants us to know that Jesus went into the wilderness full of the Spirit. He, he provides us that detail and he came out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. And so he gives us this detail as well. The Spirit's power became very pronounced in Jesus' life after his wilderness experience. This leads me to a crucial principle. God uses the temptations we encounter to release spiritual power in our lives. Please don't misunderstand me. God doesn't tempt us, but he uses temptation to release his power. He uses testing. In the Greek, both words are used. He, re- he uses temptation. He uses testing to release his power. Look at Luke 4, verses 1 and 2. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. Who did the leading? The Holy Spirit. Who did the tempting? The devil. It's clear. Did God know what was going to happen when he sent his son into the wilderness? Yes, he did. In his sovereignty, God allowed it to demonstrate that his son would not yield to the devil's temptation and to demonstrate that the spirit's power is stronger than the devil's schemes and strategies. From God's point of view, it's a test. But from Satan's point of view, it's a temptation. God sends a trial and Satan turns it into a temptation. He wants us to deny God's truth and live a lie. But 1 John 4, 4 says, He who is in you, speaking of the Holy Spirit, is greater than he who is in the world, speaking of the devil. Testings and trials are a part of God's curriculum for you, aren't they, Brother Frank? They teach you to depend on God's grace and the Spirit's power. 
From the high point of his baptism in the Jordan River, after the Spirit descended on Jesus, he was led into the wilderness. God never intends that we stay on the mountaintop, church. Never. Thank God for the mountaintops. If we didn't have them, life would be almost unbearable. But you can't stay there forever. Pastor Ken, I know you've climbed Mount Monadnock in New Hampshire. I climbed Mount Monadnock as well when I was living in Massachusetts. And the higher you got up to the top of the mountain, the less greenery, the less life, the less growth you saw. You can't stay on the mountaintop forever. Sooner or later, You've got to come down from the mountaintop into the valley of trouble. How many know something about the valley of trouble? That's where life must be lived. That's where you face your problems and learn to depend on God's grace and the Holy Spirit's power to bring you through. We're all living life in the valley of trouble. We live in a broken, sinful world. It's the valley of trouble. Trouble is all around us because we live in a broken world. We're not exempt from trouble. It's all around us. It's all around us. And that's where life must be lived. That's where you face your problems. And again, learn to depend on God's grace and the Holy Spirit's power to bring you through. That's where you prove the reality of, of your faith in Jesus before a watching world. That's where you are strengthened in the power and might of the Holy Spirit. In the school of grace, God doesn't offer a no trials degree program. I'm sorry. All of us will be tested many times in many ways. God uses them to make us stronger by depending on the Holy Spirit's power and not our own. I, I think of Zechariah, not by might nor by power, speaking of human strength, but by my spirit saith the Lord. A trial becomes a temptation when we respond wrongly. We often pray, God, deliver me from this trial. How many have prayed? to be delivered from the hour of trial. Oh, God, deliver me. Get me out as quick as possible. Oh, God, please get me out of this trouble, this trial. But maybe our prayer should be more like, Lord, in this season of trial, do you work in me. Deepen my faith. Grow me to depend on your grace and on the power and might of the Holy Spirit. You see, what God means for good, Satan means for evil. What God wants to use to strengthen us, the devil wants to use it to weaken us. Again, 1 John 4, 4 says, he, speaking of Jesus, who is in you is greater than he, speaking of the devil, who is in the world. It was necessary for Jesus to go into the wilderness. It was part of God's plan. It's necessary for us also. The wilderness isn't a fun place to be. Why there you feel alone and exhausted, don't we? You come to the end of all human resources, and that's not a bad thing. That's when we look up and begin to really trust God, depend on God, depend on his grace, rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. And you feel like giving up, right? When, when all human um, resources have been exhausted, you feel like giving up, uh, giving in and giving up. But that's when we look up. That's when we look up. Amen. And the resources of heaven come and renew us and strengthen us, empower us. 
Nothing seems to make sense when we're in that place. All will seem confusing, but do not despair. Remember the promises of God. Do not turn back to the old way of life. Do not give in to your emotions. God never leads us into the willingness to destroy us. He always intends the time of testing to make us stronger, deeper in our faith. This is what you will find in the wilderness. You ready for this? This is what you'll find in the wilderness. Victory is there. There was no defeat for Jesus in the wilderness. Victory was there. For you and me, spiritual growth is there. The Holy Spirit is there. He led Jesus into the wilderness. He was full of the Holy Spirit. And he came out in the power of the Holy Spirit. Please remember in our text today, Jesus is fully man. Paul writing to the church in Philippi, he writes in Philippians 2, coming in the likeness of men, speaking of Jesus, and being found in appearance of, uh, as of a man, he humbled himself. Jesus humbled himself. God, he became man. He was led by the Spirit that he might be tested. He was tested by the enemy that he might be prepared. He was prepared that he might be empowered to fulfill the Father's will. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Amen? Luke 4.14 says that when Jesus returned from the wilderness, he returned in the power of the Spirit. He submitted to the Father's will, fulfilling his earthly ministry, depending on the Holy Spirit's power. Would you join me standing today? My prayer for us this summer is that we all would come to that place where we just open our hearts to God and say, Holy Spirit, fall afresh on me. Holy Spirit, fall afresh on me. How many need that fresh outpouring of God's Spirit? My hand is raised. My hand is raised. Holy Spirit, fall afresh on me. That's what the church of Jesus Christ needs in this hour. A fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit of God. We don't have to be afraid of the Holy Spirit. He's God. He's God. Oh, let's take a moment. Brother Vic, would you lead us in this chorus? And as, as the team's leading us in this chorus, would you just talk to God? Would you just cry out and ask, Holy Spirit, fall afresh. Fall afresh. Fall afresh on me. Mom and dad, oh, stand in the gap for your sons and daughters and, and cry out to God. Oh, Spirit of God, Holy Spirit, fall afresh on my son. Fall afresh on my daughter. Fall afresh on my children. Husband, 
wife. Cry out to God. Holy Spirit, fall afresh on my marriage. Fall afresh on me that I might serve my, my wife, my husband, the way that you will. That I would love them the way that you will. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh. Those bound and trapped in, 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 in sin. Spirit of the living God, cry out. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. I don't want to be mastered by this sin anymore. You're my master. You're my Lord. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Empower me to walk in the victory. I realize that the prison door has been opened. Oh, give me the strength. Give me the might. Give me renewed power to walk out of the prison cell in the victory that you won on Calvary's cross. Spirit of the living God, fall. Oh, I need wisdom. I need wisdom. Major decision. Spirit of the living God, fall. Fall, fall, fall. Oh, would you cry out to God, worship team. Oh, cry out to God. Oh, cry out to the Holy Spirit. Call thee.
Lord, your presence, Lord, your presence, Lord. Just sense the Holy Spirit speaking to my heart. You've lost a, a hunger for the word of God, the truth of God. You're not passionate for the, the word of God. Oh, cry out, Holy Spirit, come, come. Fill me with a new hunger, a new passion, a new love for the word of God, the eternal truth of, of God's word. You have no concern for, for lost people. You're not moved that, that people are lost. You have no desire, no burden for lost people. No, no desire to share your faith, to share the gospel of Christ. Cry out, Holy Spirit, come, come, come. Burn within me, burn within me. Burn within me. Burn within me. A strong desire, a burden an awareness of the lostness around me. Grant me a boldness to share filled with grace and truth the eternal truth the gospel of Jesus Christ that saves. Oh spirit of the living God fall, fall, come, come spirit of the living God spirit of the living God Oh, let's just take a moment and cry out, Pastor Ken, would you lead us? Let's lift our voices with Pastor Ken. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, as a deer panted for the water brook, I so long for you. We long, oh God, for the compassion that Jesus has. We long, oh God, for the power of the Holy Spirit that would anoint us, oh God, to go forward in the power of the living spirit that God that we have things in our lives that we need you to touch that we need you to change we need the washing of the Holy Spirit we need the washing of the word we need the very presence of God made manifest in our life help us oh God to open our hearts to seek you to find you to look for you with a passion that we've never had before And that passion only comes from you, Lord, right now in the presence of our God. Father, we're opening our hearts to you. We're crying out to you. Oh, God, now change, touch, move, challenge, compel. Call us, Lord. And we, on our behalf, will listen to your voice and obey what it says and walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. For this, Lord, we are truly grateful, O God. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. Yes, Lord Jesus. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Yes, Lord Jesus. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Yes.